We're going to read the Bible now. If we've never met, my name is Ben, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through to verse 30. It'll be on the screen as well behind me, and we'll pick it up at verse 28. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Morning. Yeah, I'm working. Good. Uh, it is, we've been on this journey about discovering who Jesus is. So we can actually not only know about him, but to form a relationship with him. So this morning is just another step closer that we can get to find out who is God and how can we draw near to him. So I'm going to pray now that God will help us to, to come before him, that he would speak to us with our hearts through our ears, and that we might see him clearly. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we just thank you that you're not a God that's off in a distance. You're not a God that we can't reach or can't talk to or can't listen to. So we pray that as, as we sit here this morning, that you would uh, speak to us, draw near to us in this time, so that we might know you better and draw near to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a question about what have I got to do to get to, to be a better person or in a sense what we hide from ourselves or what we like to believe is that everyone's equal. Everyone is, is on a level platform but in reality there's this kind of thing that we all recognise, there's this social uh, ladder that there's the elite are at the top. The, the movie stars, the rich and famous, that they're at the top and regular people like us, we're at the bottom and if we want to become popular, if we want to be a somebody, there's something I must do or there's something I must be to, to reach them, to get into their circles. Now, there's ways that we can try and do that. In fact, you can buy a way to, to get a bit of a taste of that. Uh, something that was a great illustration up to this morning is to know Donald Trump to have dinner with Donald Trump, to rub shoulders with him. You can make a donation of like 800 grand for a couple to have dinner with him. But don't think you're going to become his friend. For the, your 800 grand, you're going to be able to get a, a handshake and a selfie, other things they promise, and to be in the same room as him. It doesn't actually mean that you've actually reached the heights of social order. Or maybe somebody like a Lady Gaga is going to uh, raise your social standing amongst your friends for $3 million. You can have her come to your place for a one-night party. But don't think she's going to say, hey, that was great, we should do that again sometime. She's never going to do that. Or if you're more my generation, if you want to seem super cool, you could get the Rolling Stones to come to your house for a cool $6 million. They'll come, they'll be your friend for the night. But in the morning... Don't think that they're going to be your best buddies. They'd probably be lucky to remember your name the next day, to be honest. But they're not, their social circle is full. They're not going to lift you up and make you a somebody when we're a nobody. It feels like we have to, have to do something special or be something special to make that order to climb the social, the social ladder. And in a strange way, as we see that plays out in our world, we sometimes think it's the same way with God. That, in a sense, God is the elite. God is righteous. He's at the top of the ladder. But yet for us, the regular people, we're, we're nobodies. And it's hard to, to draw near to God. It's hard to get his attention. It's hard to, to be in his circle. How this plays out is something like this. 
And something happens in your life and you pray to God and you pray that something would become clearer or something would happen, it's really important to you, but it's not working out the way you thought and you kind of get frustrated with God and it seems like God is so far away from you that God's not listening to you and you kind of think, why God aren't you listening to me? Only if, if I was only a better person, more spiritual, if I was only more righteous, more Christian, maybe then God would have listened to me. But he's not listening to me. I need to work harder, do more, to impress him, to get his attention. What happens if bad things happen? Bad things happen in your life. Bad things happen in your life that, that you go, why God is this happening to me? Why me? Why is, what is going on? What are you doing? But then you realise, well, maybe this wouldn't happen. If only I was more churchy. Maybe if I read my Bible more or prayed more. Maybe if I gave more money. That would get God's attention. How much, God? Get your credit card out. How much, God? How much would take me up another step in the ladder so that you would see me? That I would get your attention. At least know that, that I'm trying hard and that you would come down to me. How much? That God is so far above us, that he's so elite on the top rung, that we're so far away from him that he, we just can't draw near to him. Maybe have you, have you ever asked those questions? That I'm never doing enough to get his attention, so why would he bless me? That we need to do something special, or be someone special to get his attention. So what we're going to see in this story about Jesus today, and Jesus is uh, God come into our world. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. And through that, we know God through Jesus because He is God. So these, these accounts of Jesus are really important to what we, how we know God. Jesus is going to show that that's a bad idea, a bad view of God. That God is so different to that. But also, that our attitude needs to be so different to that as well. So we're going to be asking two questions. What is at the heart of Jesus? So what does Jesus actually care about? And then what kind of people are in Jesus' circle? What sort of people do we need to be to get close to him, to near him? And we see the first one. What is at the heart of Jesus? In this little, uh, just short few verses, where Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. It's a short little statement, but there's a whole lot going on here. So I think when we talk about what's at the heart, if I ask you, what's going on on the inside? What's going on in your heart? We often think that that means emotions. That our, emotionally, that this is, this is what's on my heart, is a lot of the language we use today. And if we said, what's, well, how are you feeling on the inside? What's going on in your heart? If you said, well, I'm feeling gentle and humble, yeah, that's great that you feel like you want to do something. But it's actually much more than that in the first century because your heart is, is the centre of your being in that this is your strongest desires, these are your ambitions, this is what you live for, this is what you get out of bed every morning for, is what you, it's going on in your heart. So Jesus said at one point, um, where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. And what he's saying there is, if you set your heart on treasures here on earth for money and wealth and comfort, guess where your heart is? Your heart will be the things around you. Every morning, you'll get up going, I can't wait, I'm here to make money today. I'm here to make my life better today. But if your treasure is set on heavenly things, every morning your heart is set on eternity, 
So every morning you get up, no, I'm living for eternity today. I'm seeing what I can do to make others, I help others see that as well. So it's what your heart is, is what you desire. It's what drives you. So when Jesus says, uh, where your heart, for his heart is gentle and humble, uh, that's describing his ambition, what drives him. But even then, we need to flesh out this gentle and humble a little bit. What does it mean to be gentle? It's actually to see somebody struggling, to see somebody who needs a hand, you know, their life might be in a mess, and to, to show compassion. To not come over and go, why did you do that? That was the dumbest thing. You deserve what you get. It's not that judgmental way, but to come and, and lift people up, to show empathy and compassion. Jesus says, I've got a gentle heart. I live to be gentle. And to be humble... Humble's a word we need to pull apart a bit because when I think of humble, I think of um, just not taking credit for things. So if we say Jesus is humble, we might think of, well, Jesus doesn't want the credit. He gives the credit to the Father. You know, Jesus um, is not trying to be, uh, show himself as an earthly kind of king. He goes, no, no, I just obey the Father and gives the credit to the Father. That's a very humble thing to do. But the word that's actually used there in the original language uh, is a little bit more... Um, some Bible translations uh, use the word lowly. Now, I don't think we... Does anybody use the word lowly these days? It's not a word we use, so I think they, the closest thing is humble. But lowly captures the idea a little bit more, and that's where the idea of this latter thing is helpful. So we have the elite, the prestigious at the top, the lowly are those at the bottom, the nobodies, those who can't make it. In fact, they're the, the ones pushed around by society, rejected by society, and they can't help themselves. They're just, they're stuck. So Jesus says, my heart, what gets me out of the bed every morning is when I see uh, those who are in a mess. We might say in this context, it means the sinners and the suffering are the people he's describing. Those caught in their sin, they can't get out and their life's a mess and they can't help themselves. They can't, they're, they're in this hole and they can't get out of it. Jesus says, I live, my heart is set on them. That every morning I get out of bed and go, who can I help? Who can I lift up? Who can I restore? That's what he means by this short saying. Now, we might easily think that this, if we're trying to visual this, this is like a Mother Teresa type a character. Mother Teresa was an amazing woman. That she would go, she'd go to the sick. People could be um, diseased and in hospital on their deathbed. And she would go and hold their hand and pray with them uh, when nobody else would. She was also a person who could mix it with politicians and the Pope, but yet go out and feed people on the street who were dying of, of hunger. She was an amazing woman, but it, it's, it's quite a soft and mushy kind of um, a picture of gentleness and humility. Where Jesus, he was gentle and humble, but also wasn't afraid to pick a fight with people as well. And we see this tension, how it's played out in the rest of the book of Matthew. We can go to a whole bunch of different stories here to see how this plays out, but I'm just going to use a story that we saw last week because it might be familiar to some of us. And this is um, what happened when Jesus was talking to a whole group of people and somebody brought in a lame man into the circle. Uh, now, to set the scene for this, we need to understand the situation for this guy. This guy was in a terrible state, the lame man. Not only... Could he not walk, therefore not help himself, not work? He could only beg or rely on other people to help him. He was in a real mess that way. It's different today with social welfare systems or rehab or get-back-to-work schemes. None of that in first century. 
So he was not only socially in a lot of trouble, but socially in relationships, he was in a lot of trouble as well because it was a common belief, especially amongst the Jews, and that's the setting for this, that if you were crippled, whether by birth or an accident, if something bad happened to you at all, it was a sign from God that actually you must have done something really bad, that you'd sinned against God, that He would turn away from you, even curse you, even, be, even if you're born with that. They would go, you've done something to tick God off, so we don't want to associate with you, because you're a sinner, that God would do that. If you impressed God, that God was pleased with you, you become rich and wealthy and prosperous and good health. It was a sign from God, that's what they believed. So this man was not only in a bad place that he couldn't help himself physically, but socially, he was an outsider. Nobody wanted to associate with him. In fact, if you're a cripple, you couldn't even go to the temple to worship God. You were kept on the outer gates. So he was in a bad state. Amongst this circle of people are also a group called the Pharisees. Now, we should think Pharisees, if you've grown up in church, Pharisees are bad guys. No, if you lived in that day, the Pharisees were the good guys. Pharisees, you could trust because they were good, law-abiding, moral people. If you uh, lived in a street, it'd be great to have a Pharisee to live beside you because you know he was going to be so law-abiding you could trust him. You wanted to send your kids to a Pharisee school because you don't want your kids mixing with the wrong crowds. And the Pharisees don't have wrong crowds. That, you know, you let your kids grow up with the Pharisees. But they're law-abiding, they're religious, and they take pride in that. Now, for them, they would not associate with the wrong people. So to see a sinner, to see a lame man, he must have done something bad against God. So we can see it. They would, when this lame man's brought in front of them, they would take a step back and sort of hiss at him. It's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing amongst us? That's their response. But even for everybody else that's in this circle, so, uh, you know, it's a Jewish circle. If we were there that day, we would have grown up in the Jewish context, we would have been there and we would think the same thing. Maybe not as strong as the Pharisees, but when a layman, a sinner, is brought in before you, you'd be like, whoa, take a step back. I don't want to have anything to do with him. So everybody's stepping back from this guy. But what does Jesus do? Everybody's looking at Jesus. What's Jesus going to do? Jesus it moves towards him. Jesus says, just straight into it. Because you know, remember Jesus for the sinners and the suffering? He goes in and says, your sins are forgiven. Go straight for the sin. Your sins are forgiven. And you're suffering. Get up, take your mat and walk. He Jesus doesn't step away like everybody's thinking, like every other religious leader, like every other person, but he moves towards him and restores him. Jesus says, I live for this stuff. I live for people like that that come before me. I want to restore them. Now, you can imagine how the Pharisees there responded. Pharisees are like, hang on a minute, this guy Jesus claims to be God. God doesn't associate with sin or sinners. God withdraws from sin and sinners. But here's this Jesus. Jesus can't be God. And they, they ask more questions of him. But then the story goes on. This next, next story, it's almost Jesus says, look, I'm going to do something to prove a point to you guys. He meets a guy called Matthew. This is the Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. So this is kind of his testimony of how he met Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. If you're talking about the social order of things... 
Matthew's not even on the bottom rung. He's a tax collector. He cheats. He works for the Romans. He's despised. He would not be allowed anywhere near the temple. But that's Matthew's spot. Jesus says, follow me. And he does. Jesus hangs out, has a party. This is like the after party to raising the lame man. Jesus has a party. Who's he having a party with? A house full of sinners. People off the street. Nobodies. Even the Pharisees see what's going on and go, we wouldn't be at that party. No way would we be seen dead at that party, hanging out with sinners. But Jesus, calling himself God, is mixing it with them. What sort of God is he? Jesus knows what they're thinking and he says, well, hang on a minute, I've come for the sick. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. What he means is, I hate going to the doctor when I'm well. It's kind of like, I have better things to do with my time. If I'm feeling good, there's no way I'm going to hang out waiting in a doctor's surgery. I don't want to go to a doctor because I don't need to go to the doctor. But if I'm sick, it's the first place I go to. And Jesus is saying that spiritually. You Pharisees, you Pharisees, you've got the law, you've got your good morals, you've got your religion. You think that you've done enough, that you've climbed the ladder to be close to God. You don't even think you need Jesus. You've got your life together so much, there's no room for Jesus. I've got it all under control. But yet it's the sinners and the suffering. They're like, hey, we can't do this. We need a doctor. You know, you can imagine when people, and we've all experienced it, when we can't get out of our sin, when we can't get out of our mess, oh, we can try harder. You know, we can try and be a better person, deserve to be better. But we'd still get the deeper and deeper. Jesus says, I'm for those people. Not you Pharisees, you don't need me. But you can see what's going on here. As Jesus says, uh, coming back to the, the verses, he says, come all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. The Pharisees say, no. The Pharisees are the religious people that go, no, you need to try harder. You need to pull harder. Put on that heavy yoke of the law. Jesus says, no. You need to come to me for rest. And that's what the sinners do. They take the yoke. So when Jesus says, my yoke, uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's saying, it's not about you climbing the ladder. It's not about you trying to impress God. It's not about you trying to, to draw nearer to God so he hears your prayers more or blesses you more. But it's all about coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. What does Jesus what gets him out of bed in the morning? To see somebody. Not the, the, the self-righteous, not like the religious who thinks they've got it together, but those in need and put up their hand and go, I need you, Jesus. He says, That's what I live for. I love that. And he draws straight to them. That's at the heart of Jesus. So what kind of people are in his circle then? What kind of people will Jesus let in and what sort of people is he picking fights with? Because he does pick fights. So we see this contrast going on where the Pharisees are going, actually, if God's not answering your prayers, if you feel like you're suffering in life, you need to obey the law. You need to work harder. 
It's because you're not doing enough. You've got sin in your life. You need to deal with your sin and then you'll be acceptable to God. Try harder, work harder, be somebody through the law, through religion, and then God will pay attention to you. Jesus says, you've got no room for me in your life. You're proud, you're arrogant, and you're going to fail. And I think that's a, there's a bit of that in all of us. That we think, why isn't God blessing me? Why isn't God answering my prayers? Because I'm not good enough. I need to try harder, be better, work harder. But yet Jesus says, no, those close to me, in fact, not those sort of climbing the ladder to Jesus, but those who Jesus comes down the ladder to, the ones he walks into their space and reaches out his hands, are those people whose I am a sinner. You know, Matthew, when Jesus comes to Matthew, the tax collector, Matthew says, I've got my life, he's not saying, I've got my life together. I'm worthy of you. He said, no, no, I'm a tax collector. Do you really want to come near me? That's when Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. It's like, Jesus comes into our world, not just in spite of our sin, or in spite of our mess, but because of our sin, because of our mess, and because we put our hand up and go, you know what, I've tried long enough to deal with my sin. I've tried long enough to get out of my mess. I've tried long enough to get this right, and I know I can't do it. So I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. That's what the sinners and the suffering do. That's what Jesus lives for. In fact, that's what Jesus dies for as well. He comes into their world, dies for their sin, dies for their suffering, so that people like us might have life. See, it's actually when we don't do that, when we don't call on Jesus, when we don't rely on Jesus, that's actually what ticks Jesus off. He's there, ready to go. He's willing to help. He wants to help. And when we say to God, no, no, we got this. I know I need to, to read my Bible more, pray more. I need to do all this stuff to impress you. I've got it. It's that that makes Jesus angry, like he was angry at the Pharisees. But what delights him is when we go, Jesus, I do actually need you, and I need you in my life. And it's that when we get to know Jesus, the response is we will want to read more and pray more and draw near to him because we realize his grace, we realize his love, we realize the life that he's given to us. And secondly, not only for each of us to do that, to have hearts that are set on him, it's for us to be a church that, that doesn't say, hey, if, if anybody wants to come into here, you've got to jump the bar this high. You've got to be like us. You've got to look like us. You've got to talk like us. Yeah, you've got to have it all together to be in here. No, no. In fact, if Jesus is going to seek and save the lost, that's, that's what he said on our hearts too, that we're a church that wants to reach our community, the 1%, the 1,000 people. We want to see more people come to know Jesus, to draw near to him. That means we need to be loving and seeking and saving the lost, the broken, the sinners and the suffering. That's what our call is to do as well, to be a part of the family, to be a part of that mission as well. I want to pray now that we might have honest hearts with him, that we don't feel like we have to hide anymore, that actually pretend to God that, you know, I haven't got this sin here, or I'm, I, I'm really got this mask of religion or righteousness. But we can come to him in openness and honesty. And that's very freeing and liberating. To go, I can't do it. I need your help. And then he's not going to push us away, but he's going to hold us closer. 
Let me pray for each of us now. Dear Father God, we just thank you that your grace is so enormous, that your love for us abounds and abounds. Even when we fail you, we struggle with our lives. Lord, you are there. Lord, I thank you that that doesn't depend on us, but your son Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you don't push us away, but you draw near even when we're hurting and make a mess. Lord, please help us. Help us within our sin and our suffering, within our mess. Lord, we don't want to pretend anymore, but come to you in honesty. Lord, help us to be a church that shines that grace for anybody who is struggling in their relationship with you, for anybody who's just can't get out of their mess. Lord, help us to be a church that loves our community and points them to you. Thank you again that you love us so much. We pray that you'd use us in this way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.